wonderful thing. It'll make you happy even when you're not happy. You just start thanking him, praising him, thinking about all the very many blessings that each one of us have in our lives, and uh, and I'm sure we all could list many of them. Uh, amen. Well, I'm excited to uh, to preach tonight. Um, you know, there are certain messages that, uh, you know, get you excited as a preacher because, you know, they're really deep in your heart and there's something that's uh, really God has placed there. And, you know, there's certain messages that really get me fired up. <laughs> and I like to get fired up, you know, uh, about God's word and about God's pres- uh, uh, promises. So if you could open up to Mark chapter 2. Verse one through twelve, we will be will be sharing a common uh, portion of scripture. Probably, uh, some of you have probably heard uh, this preached before. I'm sure you've read it before. Uh, in fact, I think I have even preached it once before, uh, back at four four four. This portion of scripture. But the thing I love about the Bible, and there's a lot of things I love about the Bible, uh, but you can read it one year. Uh, and, and, and dissect it, and God can speak to you through a portion of Scripture. But because this thing is alive, you can read it again next year and get a whole nother message and a whole nother thought. And uh, it's, it's, it's exhilarating to me. In fact, when I read my Bible and I see something new, Pastor Charles, I get excited. Like, 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 like I just was mining and I found gold. And like, man, I, I mean, I just hit a gusher, and I love that. And I'd be lying to you if I told you every time I read the Bible or every time I get in my devotion time that every single day was like that, because it's not. But when it is, it's so much worth it. It is so worth the, 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 the digging through to get them nuggets uh, that God will give you. So enough of that. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum, this is, this is Jesus, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. It's always good when God's in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven of you. You know, that probably would irritate me at that time. If I was one of the four men carrying this man down, waiting for this great spectacular, this, uh, this climax of this man being healed. Listen, this Jesus is going to heal you, and he's going to do this great thing for you. And wait, we just got to get in his presence, and everybody's all excited, and this is going to be a great moment. And you get down there, and Jesus looks at you and says, your sins are forgiven. Man. That's like showing up for dinner for someone and them just feeding you white rice. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's got to be more than this. 
And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they, they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never saw anything like this before. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God who at various times and various ways spoke in the past through the fathers by the prophets, he has in the last days spoke to us by the Son. The title of my message is The Sometimes of Your Miracle. Let us pray. Father, it is in the name of Jesus that we come to you, Lord. And we ask, Father, that your word would be clearly spoken in this moment of time. Lord, I pray uh, for my mind that my thoughts would be clear. I pray, Lord, that my mouth will speak clearly the word of God. Lord, that you will inspire me as I declare the promises and the truths of this gospel. Lord, I pray that if there is anything that is hindering the preaching of this word, that you would take your strong right hand, Lord, and that you would press up against it, Lord, and that there would be no distractions and nothing would come against this moment and this time. In Jesus' name we pray. We can look at this portion of Scripture and see a few dynamics of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the will of God, which is to heal and set free from the power of sin, death, and to save, which that is lost. This is very evident in the opening moments of Jesus' ministry, where he proclaimed the word, the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to console all those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that you may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That is Isaiah chapter 61. This was the opening of Jesus' public ministry when he declared this. And if you look at Jesus' opening statements in his, his, his first 
public declaration of what his ministry was going to be like, you can see what Jesus came to do. And I am here to tell you today that on that day that Jesus wrote that scroll, it was the truth about what he came to do. And I'm here to tell you today that that truth still remains to be true. That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that the same Jesus that came to heal the sick is here today to heal the sick. The same Jesus that came to heal the brokenhearted is here today to heal the brokenhearted. The same Jesus that came to set the captives free is here today to set the captives free. The same Jesus that came to to comfort those that mourn is here to comfort those that mourn. The same Jesus that came to console the people then is here to console you today. What am I saying to you today? That the same miracle power that resided in Jesus and the ministry of Jesus is alive today through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is here with us even now to see the work of God performed. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that today? Because this man up here believes that today. This man up here believes that the same Jesus that walked and laid his hands on the sick man and told him to get up is the same Jesus that calls us today. And he is true and he cannot lie and he cannot deny himself. And he is still God. He is still God. I told you I was going to preach. I feel the fire on this, uh, on this message. And I came tonight to set the captives free. Some of you are looking for a miracle. And I am here today to, te- to tell you that the miracle power of God is in this house tonight. I didn't come here to play games. I didn't answer the call of God to play church. I came to preach this undefiled gospel, the word of the very living God with power and authority and signs and wonders following. Didn't come here to play games with this thing. We can see this in the action We can see all of this in action in Mark chapter 2. The reason why I believe the Lord gave me this message is for for the purpose of this thing I called sometimes discoveries. Because although God does what he wants, how he wants, and with whom he wants, he often leaves us with traces and trails of his various ways that Hebrews chapter 1 one said he spoke through the prophets and he's spoken in various ways and he's still speaking to us in various ways this day. He moves in our lives and speaks to us to give us hope and to give us faith and to, to let us know that, that he is still God and he still has promises. And the promises that he spoke of, the promises in this word are still yes And amen. I'm trying to stimulate some faith here tonight. Because it's not because I'm here that God is going to move. It's because the faith of the people. It's the faith and the hunger of the people that is going to draw the power of God in this place. Do you believe it tonight? Do you believe it tonight? I hope so. But the the first sometimes discovery. Can you open it? 
I get a little dry. <clears throat> Thank you, John. My first point is sometimes there must be a breaking. Things often look at their worst right before your miracle. It says here that this man couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. I don't know about you, but this is not a good situation. I would have to assume that being a paralyzed man your entire life is a terrible situation. I got to imagine that it's not something that anybody would wish upon another person. I would have to wish that it would, if, if, if having all your faculties and having a normal life and normal function, you can still find yourself uh, lending to depression or anxiety or low self-esteem, I would have to think that all of those things are amplified when you find yourself in a situation where you cannot move, you cannot walk, you cannot get up and work, you cannot have relationships. I would have to assume that this man was not married I'd have to assume that he doesn't have children and know that nobody to care for him because he wouldn't need four strangers to help him out if he had somebody in his life that cared about him. But he finds himself in a terrible situation. And as if the situation isn't bad enough about being crippled and being unable to care for himself, he finds himself dealing with the frustration of needing something from God. Have you ever felt like you really needed something from God? Or even needed something? Have you ever looked at somebody else getting blessed with something that they probably really don't need and you're just sitting there looking at them saying, man, I mean, I'm happy for my brother or my sister, but man, I could really use that blessing right now. I mean, I'm glad that they were able, you know, to get that, that blessing and, and go buy a new pair of J's or, you know, get the, the newest iPhone, but I need to pay my electric bill or I need to buy groceries for the house. I mean, uh, I know some of you have had to have situations in your life where you looked at somebody else's blessing and said, man, for them it might be a luxury, for them it might be something that, that, that is a blessing, but for me that would be something that I need need real bad. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Well, I have to believe that this man, as he laid there and he watched the crowds fill up this house and he watched all of the people go into this house to hear Jesus preach, knowing that as we can see in Scripture, many and even most of the people that went to hear Jesus and see Jesus really were there for the sideshow. They were there to watch him do miracles. They were there to watch him preach and to see the big commotion, but most of them were not there to follow him. And most most of them definitely were not there because they were crippled. Most of them were there just because everyone in town is talking about this man named Jesus and he's doing all these wonderful uh, uh, tricks by healing people and, and doing all these nice things like turning water into wine and let's go check out the sideshow called Jesus. And I say that uh, with all respect to God, that is not my opinion, but I have to believe because the lack of people that truly followed him and 
and were disciples of him, that most of these people here were not true disciples or followers and really were not cared or concerned about really giving their life to Jesus. Like I have to assume that there are people in this place right now that are playing games with God and you have no desire to really give your life to him, but you're standing in a place and you're around the things of God and you're watching other people get your blessing and wondering why not you, but you are not willing to give your life to Jesus. And I have to assume most were like that. This man is frustrated. He's not able to get in the house, not able to get the miracle he really needed. And here come these guys. They said, don't worry, no problem. We'll just take you on the roof. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but at that point, I would definitely be saying, listen, it's over. It's okay. I've been laying here for X amount of years. I'm good. I don't need the embarrassment. I don't need the shame of being brought on a roof. Because at this point, I've been doing this for so long. I've been embarrassed for so long. My self-esteem has been like this for so long. I've been addicted to drugs for so long. I've been lonely for so long. I've been, I've been rejected for so long. At this point, does it really matter anymore? Do I really need to put myself out there and go be pulled up on a roof so everyone can point at me and look at this man and look at that guy and look at this? So they bring him up on, on the roof and they begin to pull shingles off. Could you imagine laying there? Now, I kind of climb into the text and imagine being all of these people. Like, I imagine being this, these, these people ripping the roof off saying, my God, I hope this works. Because you know what? Somebody, somebody lives in that house. <laughs> so while they're in the house and he's teaching about the promises of God and Jesus is so eloquently speaking and teaching, all of a sudden the roof starts falling in and you start to see, you know, stucco falling down and sticks and whatever their roof was made of is falling down. And you have to believe that there was four of them there. But I guarantee there was at least one saying, oh my God, this this is going to be a disaster. If 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 if, if if Louie, if this doesn't work, he's going to have my head. Who's going to, does anyone know someone to fix this roof? What are we going to do? And you know his wife, Margaret, she's probably losing it right now. I mean, she don't even let you go in there with dirty sandals. Nevertheless, take the roof off. So now they're taking off the roof, and I have to believe this man is laying there on the roof. And this is the lowest point of his life. Sometimes things get worse before they get better. And sometimes right before your miracle is the the hardest part. And I'm here to tell you today that if you're believing God for something in your life, if you're believing for a miracle, if you need something from the Lord, I don't want you to look for one minute and think because things aren't looking any better or look at things uh, for one minute and say, man, this will never change. That just because it looks grim, just because it looks dark, doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. Just because it looks like there's no no way down into the house to get close to Jesus. I'm here to tell you that it may get worse, 
before it gets better. But sometimes there has to be a breaking, and that's what was going on here, a breaking. They're breaking through the roof. Sometimes God is breaking through the roof. Sometimes he's breaking through the stony heart. Sometimes he's breaking through your pride. Sometimes he's breaking through your religion and through your traditions and and, and through uh, your ideologies. And sometimes he's breaking you. Because things sometimes get harder before you see your miracle. Many would have given up. David said it like this, I am forgotten like a dead man out of my mind. I'm like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take uh, away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God, and my times are in your hand. You know, life, I call this illustration the illustration of dots. Have you ever seen a picture? Uh, my, my kid has coloring books, and I, I've probably shared this before. But he has coloring books, and... There's a bunch of numbers, and there's dots. And if you follow the numbers and you go through the numbers, it draws a picture. And eventually, you can kind of see the shape of what the picture is supposed to be. But you don't know from one dot or even two dots or three dots. I mean, of course, you know, uh, those of us that are professional dot readers can figure it out. But for my three- or four-year-old child, they have no idea until the picture is about drawn. And they get to see, and they get excited when they see what the picture is supposed to be. Well, sometimes we're like one of those dots, and God is doing something in our life. He's, pre he's, he's preparing something in our life. He's drawing something up in our life, and we feel like, man, we're just one dot. But if you'll just step back, and you'll give God a little bit of time, and you'll, and you, and you'll just step back, and you'll let him do what he started to do, and you'll trust him just a little bit, once the dots are connected, it'll be beautiful, and it'll be a picture of something wonderful. But sometimes you have to go, go past just your dot. This brings me to my second sometimes discovery. My second point is sometimes you need a little help. Mark chapter 2, verse 3. When they came to him, bringing the paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, that's very significant. What if the, the, the paralytic didn't have these four men? What if there was no help? I'm led to believe without the help of his friends or brothers or whoever they were, that he wouldn't have gotten to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today that God will always send four men in your life. But are you going to allow them to help you to do what God has called them or her or they to do? What if he didn't like these four men? What if, what if, what if two of them were okay, but the other two, you know, he, he was carrying a grudge about, and he's laying there on his mat, you know, and he's like this, and laying on his mat just like this on this mat. I'm laying here. And I can't move. And I'm like, Joe, you're okay. Mike, you're okay. But Daryl and 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 Tucker over here, 
I don't, they can't carry me. So now I have two people trying to help me, and I'm not going anywhere because I'm so stubborn that I won't let the other two people help me. What am I trying to say to you as I lay on this floor like an, a fool over here trying to make a point? It's the fact is that if you want to get anywhere, you have to let the Lord, you have to accept to use the help that the Lord sends you. And the Lord sends help in many different ways. See, these men didn't have the need that this man had. They didn't have the desperation that this man had. But they did have one thing that this man didn't have and that he needed was faith. Faith to believe for a friend. Surround yourself with these kind of people. You know, me and Pastor Charles were talking earlier today, and Teen Challenge is a little bit like that because most of the people that come to us don't have faith to believe that they'll ever be well. Most of them certainly don't have faith to believe that God is going to turn around their whole entire life at first. Uh, They come, you know, they usually have some doubts, and, you know, they usually actually don't even want to be here, to be honest with you. And somebody brings them in because mom kicked them out or the wife won't let them at home no more or they lost their job or whatever have you. Whatever life circumstances that got them to the place where they got to come into the program. But most of them, I'd have to say, don't have enough faith to get to the finish line at the beginning. And it's our job as the leadership. It's our job as the staff. It's, it's our job as senior students to take the new ones and say, listen, you may not have faith for yourself, but I have faith for you. Because you may see yourself as, as a, a junkie. You may see yourself as an alcoholic. You may see yourself as a con man or a criminal. But what I see is a son of God. I see a father. And I see a businessman. I see a pastor. I see an evangelist. I see a, a, a man making a difference in his community. That's what I see. And that's what these four men saw. They saw something that this man was not able to see for himself. And God will often send people into your life to help you. But we often find ourselves kicking and screaming against the help. What do I mean? The help doesn't look like we thought it was. I don't know how many times I have people come in and their lives are in shambles and they're eating out of a dumpster and and they're living from shelter to shelter And they're here three or four days, five days, and they're like, no, I think I'm just going to go back. The program isn't what I expected. It's like, well, maybe it isn't, but where you're going is exactly what you expect it to be. Sometimes God's help looks different. What if this man that was paralyzed didn't like the ethnicity or the race? of the, one of the four brothers or multiple of the four brothers and says, you're not the color of the kind of person I like. Or you're not the gender of the person I like. So I'm going to refuse your help. He wouldn't have got that miracle today. What I'm telling you, all of you, and not just the men in the program, but all of us, God will send us help, but we need to stop pushing the help away.
God will send us counsel, but we have to take it. You don't know how many times I have people, Pastor Paul, I want you to counsel me. But you left the program against my counsel. Why, would, why now, after you're not in the program, would you want me to mentor you? You didn't follow the mentorship I was giving you while you were here. And we're like that. We're like, oh, I don't, have, I don't have the answer, and I need to know what to do. And then somebody comes, and God sends someone your way. And listen, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what I think you should do, and this is what my experience says. And then you just say, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you go back, and you just do what you want anyway. And then, oh, God, I need help. I got to get out of this mess. I mean, I have a person I'm dealing with right now. In fact, he's probably watching this thing right now. That I give him the answers. He calls me uh, pretty regularly, sometimes more regularly than not. Uh, but he needs counsel and guidance. And I give him the same guidance every time for probably now a year straight, at least once a week. And he's never once answered it. But my counsel hasn't changed. <laughs> this is what you need to do, brother. But we're all like that a little bit. The Word of God clearly lies, lays out what we're supposed to do in basically every situation we can think of. Ask somebody that knows their way around the Word. Bring your problem to them. And I can guarantee you, they'll tell you, well, this in the Bible, there's this or there's this. God has given us instruction. But if we're not willing to receive the instruction or the counsel, or submit ourselves to authority, submit ourselves to the help that God has sent us, then we have nobody to blame but ourselves. You know, Bill Kirk, a great, great preacher, uh, one of the leadership of the Assembly of God in the state of New York, and he has this great, great quote, and I'm just so excited to share it because I've never shared it before uh, while ministering, and it's a great quote. It's a great, great quote. It says, if you try to fix the fix that God fixed for you, he will fix another fix to fix you. <laughs> if you try to fix the fix that God fixed for you, he will have to fix another fix to fix you. And it's often like God brings answers to us and he brings a way out. And for you guys here and for me and for the staff, yo, teen challenge was the fix for me. And I tried to manipulate it. I said, man, it's too long. Maybe we can shorten it. You know, I'm really smart. I can get done early. I'm, I'm like, a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to whiz this thing. You'll want to graduate me quick. And I did graduate quick. I was, I was staffing 10 months, just to let you know, not to brag or anything. But anyway, but anyway, my point being is that I tried and we try to fix the fix that God fixed for us. And we keep on trying to find a loophole and an answer to our thing. And God has the people that, 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 that are right in front of us with godly, sound counsel saying, brother, sister, daughter, friend, this is what you need to do because the word of God says this. But then we keep on going from person to person to person to person to try to find the answer. That's why when guys take off and they just leave, they leave like in the middle of the night because they know what the answer is, but they don't, they don't, want, they don't want counsel. They, they don't want counsel. And we've put ourselves in a bad place when we're praying for wisdom, we're praying for help, we're praying for these things. God sends people. He sends the word. He sends pastors. He sends counselors. He sends good friends. He sends parents. He sends uncles. And we refuse the help 
that he's sending. Sometimes we need a little help. This man found himself in a place where he needed help. I love parents. They'll bring, and I've shared this before too, they'll bring their children to the program. I mean, I did intake for a while um, when I was working at Long Island, and I remember parents would come, and they'd be like, oh, please, Johnny is dying, and could you please take him? We'll do anything. We just, anything, just tell us. We heard Teen Challenge is a great program, and that you guys really know what you're doing, and da-da-da, and we're like, yeah, yeah, we'll bring him in. Let's meet Johnny, and you meet Johnny, and Johnny is all skinny, and he's got this gray complexion to him, because, you know, when someone's been doing drugs or shooting dope for a while, they get this, like, dead look on him, and you see it all over him, and it, and you see, man, Johnny's suffering, and he's got track marks up his arms, and you just say, oh, my God, Johnny, you're like one step away from death. And his parents are like, oh, please, Paul, please, please, just help him. Just take him in. We'll do anything, anything. He just needs to program. And then, you know, Johnny comes in, and after two months, he goes on a day pass, and his parents come back, and they call you, and they're like, my God, he sounds like a different person. I mean, his skin looks different. You know, he looks wonderful, even his sores on his arms, they cleared up. Oh my God, it's like I'm talking to a different person. It's so wonderful. Teen Challenge is so wonderful. You're so wonderful. What can we do? We love Teen Challenge. Oh yeah, Johnny's doing great. He's just, you know, submitting to God and, you know, it's wonderful. We're just happy to see what God is doing in his life. He's just got to continue. He can't fall into the traps. He can't, you know, he's got to con continue to be obedient, continue to, to worship the Lord and be in prayer and study and these things are really helping him. And, and then, you know, four months comes along and you know, mom calls and she says, hi, oh, Johnny, you know, I just spoke to him. He's just doing so well. And, you know, we're just so grateful for the program. And you guys really know what you, I mean, you really know what you're doing over there. I'm telling you. Um, we would like to go on a family vacation to Europe. And we usually go for the whole summer. And we would like to take Johnny with us. Is that okay? Well, ma'am, I mean, I, I really think that's 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 wonderful that you're going on a family vacation to Europe. But, you know, Johnny's only in the program for four months, and I think he needs to finish the program, and I think that's what's best for him. I don't think he's ready yet to go out into all that stuff. And they said, well, 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 we, we think it is, and we're his parents, and we feel we know his best, and we know our son, and all of a sudden, the, you guys are great, and you guys are what? It's gone. I'll say, okay, well, we'll let Johnny go, but he's going to have to start over. Oh, Johnny's good. We talked to him. I don't think. I, I, then you get a call two weeks into the trip. We don't know where Johnny is. He stole all the jewelry. He stole all the family stuff. He's, 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 he's lost somewhere in Prague or somewhere. He took off with the, 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 the Grateful Dead was on tour there, and I don't know where he is, and I have no idea. And it's like, But God's help is only good for us until we want to do something different. Until, we, until, until the newness is over. I mean, people come in, oh, we're on fire for Jesus. This is just the way to go. Pastor's wonderful. This church is great. And then, and then you know, six months into being part of the church, they start noticing everything. We become critical. We start judging the help that God sent. And we no longer want the help. And we no longer have those four men to carry us up because we're too busy being critical of the four men that are trying to save our lives. And we all have a propensity to do that. My third point, sometimes you have to do something that you've never done before to have something you've never had before. Mark 2, 
Verse 12 says, immediately he rose up, took up his bed in the presence of them all. And they were all amazed, glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. You see, Abraham left all he knew to receive his promise. Moses had to take a first step into the Red Sea. Esther stormed into the king's throne room to save her people. David stood before a giant with five smooth stones. Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water, listened to a carpenter about where to catch fish, and preached the first sermon of the New Testament church. What is God telling you to do? Sometimes you have to do something you've never done before to have something you've never had before. A century ago, there was a a band of brave souls that became known as the one-way missionaries. Instead of suitcases, they would pack all they had in coffins as a symbol of them being dead to themselves. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the new hybrids in the South Pacific, knowing full well the headhunters that lived there had martyred every other missionary that had ever gone there before. Milne stepped out in faith and packed up his coffin. He lived amongst the tribe for 35 years and loved them. When he died, they buried him in the middle of a village and inscribed the epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. A.W. Milne had to do something he never did before to have something he never had before. What is God telling you to do? You know... There's something very significant in this portion of Scripture about, about this miracle. If you notice that, that Jesus, when they, they, they dropped the paralyzed man in between uh, him through the roof, I'm sure it was very obvious to everyone, including Jesus, that this man needed a physical healing. We obviously knew that he needed that. I'm sure that he didn't forgive his sins because he didn't know that this guy needed something different. But instead, Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. He just spoke the words. There was no proof that his words had any power. There was no, there was no substance to the words. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes said he was blaspheming God, because, he, because paraphrasing it, they said that, who, who else can forgive sins but God? This man isn't God. He's blaspheming. So there, obviously there was nothing that physically happened at that moment. There was, there was no change. There was no wind. There was no fire. There was no, you know, baptism in tongues. There was none of that. There was no prophetic word. He just said, oh, yeah, your sins are forgiven. Now, that must have been a real awkward moment because... <laughs> Especially for the guys that just ripped a hole in somebody's roof and said, man, this guy's going to get healed. And, you know, Margaret over here, she's all worried about the sandals and the the dirt and the floor. And, you know, I don't know if they swept or what they did. I guess they had dirt floors at the time. I don't know. So maybe she wouldn't have noticed the dirt. But anyway, here we are in a situation, an awkward situation, and we're expecting God to do something. And all you get is a word from the Lord. A word. Just a word. And this shows us two different things. 
this shows us that, well, number one, that God, Jesus knew what they were thinking because the scriptures said that they were, they were, they were reasoning in their heart. And they, were, they were hating on him and they were being critical of him and they were waiting for him to say and do something. So he kind of baited them. He kind of set them up. Because there's nothing you can say to someone when they say get up and walk. And a person that you know that has been stricken their entire life, someone that has been paralyzed and handicapped their entire life gets up and walks. There's nothing you can say about that. You can argue your doctrine. You can argue about, about your philosophies and what God can do and what God will do and what's God and what's not God. But when you get up and walk and there's a miracle like that, nobody can deny what is God. That's why your testimony is so powerful. Because people could argue doctrine, oh, I'm Calvinistic, and I'm Arminianism, and I'm, and I'm this, and I'm all that. But when Jesus does something significant in your life, and people can see God has physically done something in your life, and you are a walking miracle, nobody can deny or argue doctrine. It's only Jesus that can heal. It's only God that can set a man or a woman free. It's only God that can tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk. But I am here to tell you this scripture goes even deeper. Deeper. See, there are seasons in your life where God will begin to speak to you. Even some of you now, God has spoken prophetic words into your heart, has given you visions in your mind of things in your future, of, uh, of what you're going to be doing or what you're called to be doing or, or maybe, maybe a, a vocation or job or maybe you have seen visions of your children coming to the Lord and being up at the altar worshiping God with you. And all you have is a word from the Lord. But I am here to tell you today that sometimes all you need is a word from God. All you need is him to speak one time to you. Because there will come a time where he may speak something into your heart. And he may say, your sins are forgiven. But I am here to tell you today, there comes a day where he looks right at you. And he activates that word. And he says, get up and walk. Come into your inheritance. Here's your miracle. I know I promised it to you many years ago. And I I am telling you today, God has that for each one of you today. God has spoken to some of you, and God will speak to you. But there will come a time where it will no longer be just a word. It will no longer be a prophetic utterance over your life. That it will manifest itself into the natural. It will manifest itself into the flesh. And once where you were dying, and once where you were lost, you will be alive. Once where you were dead, you will be alive. Once where you were crippled, you will walk. Once where you were able, weren't able to love, you, were, you will be able to love. Some of, you, some of you can't even imagine what God has for you. You're stuck in the old image. You're stuck on the words that your father used to say over your life. But I am here to tell you today that there is a different father speaking a word over your life today who says your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. I remember the days where the Lord would show me, son, you're going to be preaching the gospel. I was a drugged out, druggy with no hope, unemployable, low self-esteem, mental health issues, anxiety, ADD, all of that stuff. And God said, son, I'm going to use you to preach the gospel. 
And that was a word that I carried in my heart and I carried in my spirit. But I'm here to tell you today that one day Jesus says, Paul, get up and walk and do what I've called you to do. And some of you, the day is coming where Jesus is going to look at you and he's going to say, I know I've promised some things. I know I've spoken some things over your life, but it is no longer words. It is power and it is action. And get up and do what I've called you to do. Get up and do what I've called you to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can the worship team come up? Praise the Lord. God. God wants to confirm and affirm you. He's doing a work and has been doing a work inside of you for some time now. It's one thing to forgive sins. But you know something, Pastor Charles, in our conversations that he pointed out that is very, very powerful. Was that if this man would have gotten his miracle before Jesus forgave him of his sins, he wouldn't have gotten the most important miracle. That's salvation. So although we're looking for miracles and things and, you know, blessings and prosperity, in God's eyes, the greatest blessing the greatest miracle is salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And we forget about that one. And it all starts there because some of us are praying for the hand of God, but we don't want the face or the heart of God. And when you get the heart of God or the, the face of God, you get the hand of God with that. And some come to the program, they come to the ministry, they even come to church because they need their life fixed. They want things better. And this Christian walk becomes about me, my life, my pleasure, my comfort, my favor, my blessing, my job. It's not about him. But I promise you one thing. If you make it about him, Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things shall be added unto you. The problem is we seek after the things, Pastor Charles. And that's why he said to him, your sins are forgiven, because it was more important to Jesus to bring this man into right relationship than it was to have him get up and walk. Oh, we're all looking for the walking. We're looking for the miracle. We're looking for the new car. We're looking for the wife, the kids, the house, the job. We're looking for all of those things. And Jesus is saying, listen, that stuff will come by itself. But what I'm worried about is my relationship with you this right here. And if you get this right, that other stuff just comes like a flood. That stuff just comes. That stuff just comes.